Section 1 of The Road to Mandalay. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. The Road to Mandalay by Betha Mary Croker. Blinds Down. What do you think, Mitty? All the blinds are down at Lillicote, announced Miss Jane Tebbs, bursting open the drawing-room door and disturbing her sister in a surreptitious game of patience. In well-ordered households, the mistress is understood to have various domestic tasks claiming her attention in the morning. Cards should never appear until after sunset. Blinds down, echoed Miss Tebbs hastily moving a newspaper in the hope of concealing her ill-doing why are you in such a taking jane i suppose the family are away rubbish exclaimed her relative sinking into a chair and dragging off her gloves did you ever know them all away together of course mrs shafto goes gladding and douglas is in sandhurst but he seldom stirs. It is my opinion that something has happened. The Shaftus have lived in Littlecote for ten years, and I have never seen the blinds down before today. Oh, you are so fussy and ready to imagine things, grumbled Mitty, who meanwhile had collected and pocketed the cards with surpassing dexterity. I don't forget the time when the curate had a smart lady in his lodgings, and you nearly went out of your mind, rampaging up and down the village and telling everyone that the bishop must be informed, and after all your outcry she turned out to be the young man's mother. That's true. I confess I was misled, but she made herself up to look like a girl of twenty you can't deny that she powdered her nose and wore white shoes but this is different drawn blinds are a sign of trouble and there is trouble at Littlecote, as sure as my name is jean then in that case why don't you go up to the house and inquire the query suggested a challenge mitty you know perfectly well that i have never been inside the door since mrs shaftu was so rude to me about the book club when i wrote and protested against the loose novels she put upon her list why you saw her letter yourself here a pause ensued during which miss jane blew into every separate finger of her gloves and folded them up with the neatest exactitude presently she murmured with a meditative air i was thinking of asking eliza to run over oh you may ask rejoined her sister with a sniff of scorn but eliza won't stir there's a beefsteak pudding for dinner and that reminds me that this is the egg woman's day and I must see if she is called. I shall want three dozen. 
and without another word the elder miss tebbs bustled out of the room and abandoned her relative to solitude and speculation matilda and jane tebbs were the elderly orphans of the late vicar and still considered the parish and community of tadpole their special charge miss jane was organist and sunday school superintendent miss tebbs held mother's meetings and controlled the maternity basket and funds subsequent to their retirement from the vicarage the sisters had known straitened circumstances in fact had experienced the sharp nip of real poverty but no matter how painful their necessities they contrived to keep up appearances and never withdrew from society nor suffered their little circle to forget that their grandfather had been an archdeacon in spite of anxious times and scanty funds they clung with loyal tenancy to certain family relics in the shape of old silver china and prints many of which were highly marketable in those evil days it was whispered that the tebbs had only one best dress between them a certain rich black silk as miss jane was at least six inches taller than duppy miss Mitty, difficulties of length were cunningly surmounted by an adjustable flounce needless to add that on festive occasions such as high teas little dinners and card parties the sisters never appeared together the one out of turn invariably excusing herself with a toothache or a heavy cold although they argued and bickered in private and had opposing tastes in the matter of boiling eggs and drawing tea the tebbs were a deeply attached pair and presented an unbroken front to the outer world after several years of brave struggle during which the wolf of want prowled hungrily round highfield cottage a substantial and unexpected fortune fell to the tebbs restored them to comfortable independence and to the notice of such far-sighted parents as happened to be in quest of useful and benevolent godmothers the sisters made but little change in their style of living they now owned handsome furs a separate wardrobe and not a few rich silks they still continued to occupy the cottage and retained in their service a certain tyrannical treasure wildly known and feared as the tebbs eliza although an admirable and trustworthy servant eliza ruled the household permitted no late hours no breakfasts in bed no unnecessary fires no unnecessary guests her mistresses were obliged to do a considerable amount of household work for instance they made their beds and miss tebbs dusted the china she also had the charge of the linen and storeroom whilst miss jane was responsible for the silver the lamps and on eliza's day out the door when the door was answered by eliza in person her manner was so fierce and intimidating that nervous callers complained that the tebbs maid looked as if she was ready to fly at and bite them 
ill-natured tongues declared that the tyrant was tolerably merely because she was a channel for the most far-reaching fresh and sensational gossip but let us hope that this was a malignant libel highfield cottage was old two-storied and solid elsewhere than tadpole it might have ventured to pose as a villa residence but tadpole a fine sixteenth-century self-respecting and historical village tolerated no villas if such abodes ventured to arise they sprouted timidly in the fields beyond its boundaries moreover the age and history of highfield cottage were too widely known for any change of name the cottage was connected with the high road by a prim little garden and a red-tiled footpath eight long narrow windows commanded a satisfactory outlook including lilycote hall a square white mansion withdrawn in dignified retirement behind elms and beeches in age the contemporary of its humbler vis-a-vis here resided edward shaftu late fellow of sir john's oxford his wife lucia and his son douglas ten years previously the family had descended on tadpole as from the skies or as a heavy stone cast into some quiet mill pond no one in the neighborhood could discover anything about them though jane tebb's exertions in the matter were admittedly prodigious and unwearied the house agent proved disappointingly vague and could only inform her that a gentleman who happened to hear of the place had come down from london inspected the house liked its lofty spacious rooms with their old mahogany doors it recalled his home was much taken with the gardens and promptly signed the lease certainly it was an audacious step to invade a strange neighborhood without a social sponsor or reference however the community breathed more freely when they beheld the new tenant of lilycote a middle-aged distinguished-looking individual and miss jane discovered or pretended to discover that he was one of the shaftus of shafton court mrs shaftu who looked surprisingly young to be the mother of a tall lad of ten had a pretty figure quantities of lightish red hair an animated manner and a pair of hard blue eyes she was fashionably turned out and her hat of a remarkable shape was discussed in the village for weeks the arrival of furniture vans horses carriages and a number of servants afforded unqualified interest to the misses tebbs and moreover advertised the fact that the newcomers were well to do and after allowing reasonable time for the strangers to settle down the neighbors called by and by these calls were returned by mrs shaftu in a smart victoria and a still smarter costume her husband was merely represented by a neatly printed card which bore the name mr edward shaftu 
Athenaeum Club. Mr. Edward Shaftu was rarely to be met beyond his grounds and garden, unless driving through the village to Bricklands Railway Station, en route for London. He did not sit on the bench, nor was he a church warden, the usual grounds of meeting. When he encountered, he was invariably agreeable and had charming, easy manners, but not so much but not much to say for himself and his acquaintance, like the farmers and the claret, got no forerunner. Gradually the painful truth was accepted that Shaftu did not care to know people. He never dined out, he did not shoot or hunt, but it was mysteriously whispered that he wrote. What no one precisely knew, but one fact was common property. He was fond of horticulture and the one and the once famous gardens of Lillicote had been delightfully restored. If Tadpole was held at arm's length by Edward Shaftu, the community had no difficulty in making acquaintance with his consort, a pretty vivacious lady who accepted all invitations and gave herself tennis parties, bridge parties, luncheons and teas. For some time the neighborhood was disposed to her, although perhaps she was not quite off the top shelf, a little too demonstrative, loud, and unreserved. Then, by degrees, Mrs. Shaftu fell into disfavor. Quiet folk were afraid of her. She enjoyed repeating ill-natured remarks, was capricious in her likes and dislikes, made a good deal of mischief and separated chief friends. The lady was not disposed to be reticent respecting her family affairs. There was something satisfactory in this. People learned that her husband was really a Shaftu of Shaftun, and also that his elder brother, who actually reigned in the family place, was a brute. She volubly explained that they had deserted the border and moved south, partly because the pater wished to be within easy reach of London, his club and musty old libraries, and also because it was more convenient for Douglas, who was at Winchester. Then gradually it came to pass that the village board, the newcomer, bored her to death, she became restless and quarrelsome, had a coolness with the vicarage regarding a pew, with Mrs. Tremahir at the park about a housemaid, and actually cut Mrs. General Finch dead in the post office, owing to a mislaid visiting card. At the end of three years, Lucia Shaftu had embroiled herself with almost everyone in her immediate vicinity and found her true level and most congenial companions in the busy bustling town of bricklands a rapidly growing and prosperous mushroom place situated thirty miles south of london and within two miles of our ancient and respectable hamlet here she belonged to several clubs bridge tennis and croquet enjoyed being a triton among minnows, entertained a third-rate set 
at Lily Coat and joined gay little theater parties to London to do a play and return home by the last train. Housekeeping sat but lightly on Mrs. Shafto's graceful shoulders, for the Shaftos also possessed a family treasure named Hannah, an elderly woman who had been in service with the family and now managed the house and looked after the comforts and buttons of her master and his boy. Mr. and Mrs. Shaftu went their separate ways and were rarely to be seen in one another's company. The lady assured her friends that her husband's health was indifferent and that he did not care for society. For her part, she liked amusement, excitement, life, whilst he preferred to read, write, overlook his garden, and occasionally run up to London. She did not trouble herself much about her son, a handsome, active boy, resembling his father in looks. Between these, there undoubtedly existed a deep affection. During the holidays, they were frequently to be met walking or riding together, and shaft to pair would so far emerge from his retirement as to be a proud spectator at cricket matches in Tremahir Park and elsewhere. Douglas and two of the Tremahir boys were schoolmates, and he was in continual request at their home. Unfortunately, these visits were displeasing to Mrs. Shaftu, as was also his intimacy with the young people at the vicarage, and poor Douglas had an awkward part to play. He could not avoid or drop his friends, yet on the other hand there were painful difficulties with his mother, who declared that he was a mean fellow to run after people who had insulted her, and one day when in a towering passion she had been overheard to scream that he was a thorn in her side and a true shaftu. But all this time Miss Jane Tebbs remained stationed at the drawing-room window, watching the road with unwinking vigilance. For a long while she beheld no object of special interest. But at last, after seeing the grocer's cart, a traveling tinker, two cows and a boy go by, her patience was handsomely rewarded. To her delight, she described Mrs. Billing, the doctor's wife, emerged from Lily Coat, and hammering on the window to attract notice, she flew down to open the hall door. Mrs. Billing, a strout, Mrs. Billing, a stout middle-aged lady, looked unusually hot and flustered as she waddled through the little green gate and entered the cottage. Why, my dear, you seem quite upset cried Jane, as she welcomed the visitor. Come into the dining room and have a glass of milk. But Mrs. Billing dismissed the proffered refreshment with a dramatic wave of her hand, subsided upon the only chair in the narrow hall, and gasped out, I have just come from Little Coat. Mr. Shaftu is gone. He died last night. End of chapter 1